All right. Good promises, amen. We're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, and that includes all of our needs being supplied according to his riches and glory by Christ. All right. Uh, well, I'm going to give you what I have tonight and what I feel like is the right direction for us to go. And uh, uh, I... Uh, had some things on my heart that I believe the Lord was sharing with us about uh, some of the direction for 2019. And uh, some of it is just uh, uh, the things, to, to have those things, it's necessary to, to be established in some things. And they affect uh, everything. And so one thing, uh, you know, about being more evangelistic, having more results, uh, is, uh, uh, is being more of a Holy Spirit church. <laughs> and so, you know, let's read Acts 1.8. And uh, it can't be done. It's not by might. It's not by power. But it's by God's Spirit. And uh, we're going to talk about some things in connection with the Holy Spirit that puts us in a position to, uh, to have more of the uh, Spirit's leadership in our life and uh, be conscious of uh, the Spirit of God's work in our life. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 says, uh, But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And in connection with the power coming, you shall be witnesses both unto me, uh, unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. So the power of the Holy Spirit is a necessity in us being the witnesses that God has ordained that the church be. Uh, we can't do the Great Commission without the power of the Holy Spirit helping us. Right? Can't cast out devils without Holy Ghost power. Can't lay hands on the sick and they recover without Holy Ghost power. You can't, uh, you know... Uh, preach the gospel without Holy Ghost power. So to do more of that, you've got to have more of this. <laughs> Does that make sense? And then we're all familiar with Romans chapter 8. Personally, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our personal life, the Spirit within us, it is of a necessity for us to be successful in life to have the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So we're looking at two things. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about being led of the Spirit. Y'all already know about those things, but we're, I'm putting you in remembrance of those things. Romans chapter 8, verse 14, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And, of course, the implication here is the word son is not the word for child. This is the word for a maturing one. Uh, 
and the maturing one is one that is in sync with and cooperating with and doing the work of the Father in the earth. Right? As you grow and mature more, you're, you're assuming more of the Father's plan and purpose and carrying out or executing God's will and purpose in life. So um, empowerment by the Spirit and leadership of the Spirit is two things that we've got to have to fulfill God's plan and God's purpose, both in the Great Commission and not only in the outreach, but also in our personal success in our individual life where the Holy Spirit ministers us, uh, where we're growing into uh, the, the character and into the, the you know, plan of God individually in our lives. So uh, in talking about the Holy Spirit, I'm going to back up to kind of square one here, and I want to go deeper into this or further into this than we've went before. And uh, uh, I was uh, wrote a couple of comments down for consideration. One is this. Before a person can correctly understand the work or the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he must first of all know the Holy Spirit. Amen. Himself, knowing the Spirit himself. A frequent source of error about the work of the Holy Spirit is the attempt to study and to understand his work without first of all coming to know him as a person. So before his work can be done, before his leadership can be had, we need to know him personally. Does that make sense? We just don't want, you know, the benefit of what he does. We want to know him who does the doing. And so it's of the highest importance from a practical standpoint that we decide whether the Holy Spirit is merely a mysterious and wonderful power that we, in our weakness and ignorance, are somehow to get hold of and use, or whether the Holy Spirit is a real person infinitely holy, infinitely wise, infinitely mighty, and infinitely tender who is to get a hold of and use us. Because if you think about the Holy Spirit in an impersonal way and don't know him personally, then you think the Holy Spirit is something that I can get to help me. But if you think of the Holy Spirit in the sense that doctrinally is correct from the Word of God, that he is a person, instead of getting more of him to help me, I'm to surrender or submit or yield more so that instead of me getting him, he's getting me. I mean, there's a big difference between you getting more power than the Holy Spirit actually getting you. So it's a matter of basic, you know, uh, decision on our part whether we look at the Holy Spirit as some force, right, or we look at him as some person. And so, again, this has to do with getting to know the Holy Spirit as a person. So John fourteen 16, we've looked at this before. Let's go there. If it's a Holy Spirit-led year, it's a good year. If it's a Spirit-filled year, it's a good year. And uh, that's the only way it can be the year that God wants it to be. 
So John 14, 16, we have looked at this passage a number of times, but it's just like eating a good steak. It's good to eat it again, right? Um, John 14, 16, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter or helper that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you, what? You know him. You do what? You know him. The Bible says that we know him. Say it with me. I know the Holy Spirit as a person, and I know his work and his ministry. Amen. So you've got God's word that we know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. Say it with me. He dwells with me and shall be in me. Amen. So, I mean, someone this close that's living in you and with you, then we should know the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? Uh, next verse said, I will not leave you comfortless. Uh, of course, they was concerned about Jesus' leaving at that time, going back to the Father, and that they would be without help, without comfort, without strength. And he assures them that they will not be left orphans or comfortless, forlorn or forsaken. I will come to you. And, of course, he would come to them in the person of the Holy Spirit. Again, we've talked about where Jesus said, I will give you another comforter. That's allos, parakletos, which means another of the same kind as the Lord. Can you say amen? So Jesus said another comforter was going to come to take his place in his absence when he ascended to the Father, right? And that it was in, you know, of course, in John, we just go ahead and let's read it, John 16, 13. He said, uh, how be it when he, the, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. And thank God he will. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Thank God he will. Uh, he'll glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine, which Brother Steve was talking about during the offering. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. And then in verse 7, same chapter, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's ex it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. So Jesus said it was expedient and it was advantageous, profitable, better, that he went away. So my thought, uh, you know, in regard to getting to know the Holy Spirit as a person is this. If the Holy Spirit was an impersonal, uh, you know, force, uh, then it wouldn't be advantageous to replace the personality and the person of Jesus 
with the Holy Spirit that was not a person. I think that it would have to be divine person replacing divine person for it to be advantageous and profitable. Can you say amen? So again, uh, uh, just talking about and how that we interact, cooperate, and yield to in our consciousness and awareness of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is very, very important. I think that sensitivity starts with awareness. Amen? Consciousness, uh, you know, sensitivity starts with consciousness. I mean, knows, you know, the Bible, Paul wrote to the church at uh, Corinth and into Ephesians 2 and said, Wake thou that sleepeth, and Christ will give you light. I mean, knows if you're not awake, you're not conscious. Right? And if we're not conscious of the Holy Spirit or aware of the Holy Spirit in the degree that we need to be, then we're going to be without his leadership and we're going to not have his full, you know, ministry or benefit in our life. So I'm just, uh, again, if we're going to know the Holy Spirit, if we're going to do the Great Commission and be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're going to be led with the Holy Spirit, we need to know the Holy Spirit. And so we're emphasizing this tonight for us to get to know him better. Amen? So divine person is going to replace divine person. Not inanimate force is going to replace a divine person. That wouldn't be advantageous at all, right? So the Holy Spirit, uh, for it to be advantageous, had to be everything that Jesus was to the disciples. He had to be to us. So that disciple, uh, you know, relationship, master-disciple relationship is is continued through the Holy Spirit uh, as presence in our life. If Jesus was going to send only an impersonal influence or power, would he have used this kind of language? No. One divine person was going, another divine person, just as divine as the master was coming to take his place. Uh, for the disciple, it was necessary that the one go, Jesus to represent them before the Father because another just as divine and sufficient was coming to take his place. Can you say amen? So how would you, uh, you know, feel tonight if Jesus was with you 24-7? I think that would do something for your personal security. It would do a lot with you dealing with fear and with worry to know that the Lord was with you 24-7. But Jesus said it was even better that the Holy Spirit has come. So you've got 24-7, third person of the Trinity, third person of the Godhead with you. That ought to affect the way we live and our perspective on life greatly. In practical application, not just in theological theory. Can you say amen? So again, the Holy Spirit is a person. Amen. Uh, now, you know, I grew up in Pentecostal circles, uh, you know, after my parents, they were Baptists and then they became Pentecostal. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of stuff, uh, you know, and, you know, there was a lot of emphasis on the Holy Spirit in the sense of it and, uh, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. But there was no teaching or no acknowledgement or no interaction with the Holy Spirit as a person. 
And so this is just something, maybe a pet peeve with mine that we need to keep coming back to this to undo maybe wrong thinking from the past. But I'm telling you, this is in practical application uh, the key to so many things. Uh, so number one, we're going to talk about some reasons that the Holy Spirit is a person. Number one, the Holy Spirit's membership in the Trinity is proof of the personality of the Holy Spirit. The very fact that he is a person and part of the Godhead and the Trinity would testify to him being person and personal, having personality. I mean, is the Father a person? Is Jesus a person? Would there be another insertion of somebody that was not a person in the Trinity? So the very fact that the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity uh, testifies to the fact that he is a person. So no one can consistently be a believer of the Bible without holding the doctrine of the triunity of the Godhead. There are individual mentions of different persons of the Godhead all throughout scriptures, but particular passages refer to all three members of the Trinity. In these, the three persons mentioned cannot be denied as existing concurrently. That means at the same time and yet individually or as different persons. Let's look at a couple of those quickly. Matthew chapter 3. This is the instance of when Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. So again, the Holy Spirit is a person because he is a member of the Trinity. John, Matthew 3.16 says this. It says, and, when, and Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. If you go out of the water, you had to go in the water, right? <laughs> and, uh, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he... Uh, saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. Didn't say was a dove, but he descended like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So here you see Jesus being baptized, the Holy Spirit descending, and the Father saying, This is my Son whom with whom I'm well pleased. So all three members of the Trinity are mentioned concurrently, but yet individually here. Amen. Uh, another uh, is John fourteen sixteen, when we just read. I won't. We'll just quote that one for the sake of time. But you know, we read that a while ago. Jesus said, "I, Jesus, will pray the Father, and He will give you another Comforter." So you got Jesus praying to the Father and the Father sending the Holy Spirit, all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all in one verse mentioned. Amen. Uh, Matthew 28, we're in Matthew. This is the Great Commission from Matthew's perspective. Verse 19 says, Go ye therefore, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, teach all nations... Baptizing them how? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So again, all three are mentioned together and they're all people, persons, have personality. 
Second uh, Corinthians thirteen fourteen. This is what is called the apostolic benediction by people in theological circles. It was Paul saying bye to the church at Corinth with his second letter. He said, verse 14, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. So you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all mentioned here. Uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 32. Acts chapter 2 and verse 32. Peter preaching after the the descent of the Holy Spirit on the uh, day of Pentecost said in Acts 2.32, he said, This Jesus hath God raised up. So Jesus didn't raise himself up, right? Whereof we are all witnesses. He said, therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, that is Jesus, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. So again, you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. Uh, I'll quote for the sake of time, Acts 10.38, same book, Acts 10.38 says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost, and power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the enemy, of the devil. So, you know, there again you see all three persons of the, uh, of the Godhead mentioned uh, together. So we know that the Holy Spirit is a person because he's included in the Godhead with the persons of the Father and with the, with the Son. Amen. I like this. This was something that I was thinking on earlier. Additional proof of the existence of three persons in the Godhead or the Trinity is found in the fact that God is so complete and contains in his character such a wide range and broad compass of all virtues and is such a perfect example in every respect that it's necessary that there be a plurality of persons in the Godhead in order to contain and express it all. There's so much to God that one person can't express it all. Strength, courage, humility, love, faith, hope, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, righteousness, holiness, power, wisdom, truth, comfort, faithfulness, authority, companionship, service, all find perfect embodiment and expression in God. If the Godhead were only the sovereign ruler, God the Father, he could not have vacated his throne to become a helpless baby and to demonstrate his perfect humility, which is inherent in his nature in which he manifested when he girded himself and washed the disciples' feet. Right? If there were no God the Son, then God the Father would have had no opportunity to have love from the foundation of the world. In reality, he could not even be the God of love that he is, for there can be no love 
of others, if there is no expression of it, and there could be no expression of God's love had there been not other members of the Trinity upon whom to bestow it. How could he ever have descended to the blackout of Calvary if there had been no God the Father in whom the Son could trust and who would raise him from the dead? Are you still here? So there's so much to God that the Son expresses, you know, a lot of of God. Uh, you know the you know the Holy Spirit expresses certain characteristics predominantly of God, and God the Father expresses certain characteristics, and it takes all three of them just to express uh, all the attributes of God. I mean, it's the same way with humanity. Uh, you know, uh, man, a man, male, expresses certain characteristics of God created in his image and likeness, but also ladies or women, females, express certain Im- uh, parts of God that men don't express. But together, they, uh, you know, there's an expression both of, of you know, sides and, and attitudes and characteristics of God that is expressed through individual Uh, you know, one side that the other side doesn't and the other side doesn't that the other one does. Can you say amen? And so uh, we know those, that's just uh, additional, uh, you know, uh, you know, reasons that we believe in the Trinity. But again, the Holy Spirit is a person because of his membership in the Trinity. Amen. Uh, Secondly, the Holy Spirit is a person because the attributes of personality are manifested by him. So what makes a person a person? Well, let's read uh, Romans 8, 26, 27. Romans eight twenty six. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. <clears throat> for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself is correct, makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. For he that searcheth the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Say the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit has mind, right? So mind, you know, a person is someone with with a mind. Amen? Then uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where we talk about the gifts of the Spirit and things pertaining of the Spirit, verse 11 says... 1 Corinthians 12, 11, but all these, talking about the gifts of the Spirit, works that one and self-same Spirit. So he's behind or the energizing force of all the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. So the Spirit has mind and the Spirit has a will. You couldn't say that gravity has a mind and a will or electricity has a mind and a will or some inanimate object has a mind and a will. He has to be a person to have mind and will. Amen. Then uh, Ephesians uh, 4.30, we're told, 
where Paul is talking about putting off the old man and putting on the new. He said in Ephesians 4.30, he said, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Well, this is a personality trait that's associated with someone that has emotions uh, to grieve someone. Other translations say sadden not or offend not, right, or disappoint not. But the Bible tells us not to grieve the Spirit of God so the Holy Spirit can be grieved. So again, we know that he is a person because he displays the attributes of emotional characteristics that's associated with the person. Then uh, Isaiah 63, verse 10. I know we're looking at a lot of Scripture tonight, but that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, actually. Isaiah 63, verse 10. Under the Old Covenant, the prophet Isaiah said that... uh, uh, this was about the, you know, the children of Israel that, uh, you know, turned back from God and rebelled against him. In verse 10 of Isaiah 63, it says, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he was turned to be their enemies and he fought against them. So here it says the Holy Spirit can be vexed or resisted or opposed. So you can't vex electricity or vex uh, some inanimate force again this is an emotional characteristic of someone that displays personality amen so we've looked at two reasons now number one the holy spirit is a personality because he's a member of the godhead the triune godhead who is made up of persons and in here the holy spirit is a person because he displays Mind, will, emotion, he can be grieved, he can be vexed. Uh, He displays the emotional characteristics of a person. Amen. And so uh, if he has these characteristics, uh, then then we know that he is person indeed. Then uh, thirdly, another reason that the Holy Spirit is a person is because personal activities are ascribed to him. Uh, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. So here we find the Holy Spirit striving with sinners, convicting, dealing with, right? with sinners that would be something that you know would not be an inanimate you know force that would be a person he strives with sinners then john 14 26 we're going to be turning to a good many more scriptures so if you've gotten rusty on knowing where the books of the bible are well you'll be uh, sharpened up after tonight john 14 26 says but the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. So this is a personal activity he teaches. Can you say man? You wouldn't uh, ascribe teaching ability to an inanimate object. Uh, close by, John fifteen twenty six. we've already 
been looking at these scriptures, but John fifteen twenty six says, When the Comforter, or the Helper, is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeds from the Father, he shall testify. So here we find another characteristic of the Holy Spirit is testifying. Verse 27, And you also shall bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So the Holy Spirit testifies of Christ according to this verse. Amen. Then John 16, 8, we're right here. John 16, 8 says, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin. This sounds like Genesis uh, 6. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So he will reprove the world. Then uh, we looked at John sixteen thirteen. Uh, he said, Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. So another activity associated with a person here, he guides you, right? And then uh, we read Romans eight fourteen, where it says, for as many as are led, so being led or being guided by the Holy Spirit is an activity that could only be uh, ascribed to, a, to an individual that is a person. Uh, Acts chapter 9, verse 41 Acts chapter nine forty one it says <clears throat> that's not the verse I wanted. Where is the verse where it says that the church uh, continued in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Is it Yes, yeah, verse 31 instead of 41. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and were edified or built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. So here we find the Holy Spirit comforting. I don't think an inanimate object could comfort you, right? but a person could comfort you, and he is a person. Amen? Then we read, and we won't go back and read again, Romans eight twenty six. he also helps us with our infirmities and intercedes for the saints. That's the function of a person. Amen? Then uh, go with me to Romans fifteen sixteen. Romans... Fifteen, sixteen. Romans fifteen, sixteen says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified, that is, the Gentiles, by the Holy Ghost. So here we find the Holy Spirit not only being a teacher, being a guide, being a witnesser, but also one who sanctifies. Can you say amen? Uh, then we read Romans eight sixteen. He bears witness with our spirit. Then uh, Acts 16 and verse 6. These are activities that could only be ascribed to a person. Can you say amen? 
Acts 16, verse 6 says. Acts 16, verse 6 says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. So the, actually the Holy Spirit communicated or actually commanded them not to go into uh, into Asia, right? So only a person could uh, could command you not to go, right? Now I know that we're going through this, but this is important. Um, Acts chapter five and verse three. Acts chapter 5 and verse 3 says, But Peter said, Ananias, why Satan filled your heart to do what? Lie to what? Lie to the Holy Ghost. And to keep back part of the price of the land. So you couldn't lie to an inanimate force, right? So he has to be a person, right? And then... um, uh, when Peter, in the next verse, this just goes with, with him being a person of the Godhead. It says, while it remained, verse 4, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own power? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied unto men, but unto God. And so in the verse above it, he said, you've lied to the Holy Ghost. But in this verse, he said, you've lied to God. So God... Uh, this establishes the deity of the Holy Spirit, that he is God. Amen? But again, lying is an activity that could only be, uh, you know, a personal treatment and it, only toward a person. Then Acts 7, uh, 51, in connection with uh, Philip, uh, not Philip, but Stephen's preaching and his message uh, that he preached, Acts seven fifty one. Uh, he said, "Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart." At least that wasn't my text for y'all tonight, right? <laughs> <laughs> right? Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always what? Resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did. So do you. Well, that goes back to Isaiah. They vexed, and it's the same thing here. They vexed. They resisted. They opposed. They took ground and made, uh, you know, antagonistic against the Holy Spirit. So, again, this is the activity of an individual or a person. Then Matthew 12, this is something that the Master said. Matthew 12 and verse 31 we're establishing the personhood of the Holy Spirit and the necessity that we know him as a person uh, before we know his work and ministry as we should. Matthew 12, verse 31 and 32, he said, uh, the master said, the Lord said, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men. But the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man, that is Jesus himself, it what? It shall be forgiven him, 
but whosoever speaks against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. So the Holy Spirit can be what? Blaspheme. Now, uh, you know, just uh, in thinking about that fact, Jesus said if he was blasphemed against, it would be forgiven. But if it was the Holy Spirit that was blasphemed against, it wouldn't be forgiven. And so you think, well, you know, about the personality or the person of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit wasn't a person, are you still with me and follow me? If the Holy Spirit wasn't a person, how could it be more, uh, you know, detrimental to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit than it was the Master himself, God in the flesh? Right? So you can see the importance of the individualism of the personality of the person of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, you know, uh, why we're, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And if we keep hearing this about the Holy Spirit being a person, we will uh, be aware of Him and conscious of Him and recognize Him more in daily life and make practical application of his fellowship and his communion because you're going to be thinking, he's a person, he is with me, and that's right thinking. That's the renewed mind. And that means he's going to lead you more, guide you more, communicate with you more, fellowship with you more, and you're going to honor and worship and respect and interact with him more along those lines. I mean, it, it's an amazing, staggering awe-inspiring thought to think everywhere I go and every second of my life, I have the third person of the Godhead inside me and with me. I have him, God, with me, and my body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, of the Holy Spirit. And so that causes us to actually access what's available to us and learn to interact with him like the disciples interact with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is, the Holy Spirit is to be to us. What, he was Jesus' replacement. And Jesus is representing us there. But it's advantageous that the Holy Spirit come because he's with us now as Jesus was with the disciples. So you have God with you everywhere you go. Under the Old Testament, God was for us and God was with us. Thank God under the New Testament, God is in us. Praise God. That's special. That's miraculous. That's awe-inspiring. That means I have on tap the wisdom, the power, and if I learn to work with him, I can have his leadership, I can have his strength, I can have his counsel, I can have his intercession, I can have his standby ability, I can have his comfort, I can have all those things uh, all the time in my life. Can you say amen? Say it with me. The Holy Spirit is very dear to me. I honor him. I respect him. I revere him. And I cooperate and yield to him. I am aware and conscious of him being a person and with me and in me. Praise God. Now, this can transform a person's life. This is a great way to start the new year off. <laughs> you and him. Amen. Him and you.
So uh, Jesus said that, you know, because of his, you know, uh, deferring nature, that, uh, that, you know, that it was, you know, the sensitivity of, of, you know, who he is, that it was possible to blaspheme, blaspheme him and it be more severe to blaspheme him than it was to blaspheme the word, the son of God, Christ, the second person of the Godhead. Can you say amen? How could he not be a person if it would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, exists the the you know the like the the privilege uh, the you know the possibility of blaspheming him. You couldn't say, well, you know, it, it'd be bad to blaspheme the Lord, but even worse to be blaspheme the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit wasn't a divine person. Can you say, man? Uh, we're gonna go a little bit further, <clears throat> so he can be blasphemed. Uh, then we've already looked at Ephesians chapter 4, but let's go back there. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians four thirty. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed until the day of redemption. This is the resurrection from the dead and the full purchase of what was purchased through Christ providing redemption for us. Can you say amen? <clears throat> so we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Why do they seal? Why do you seal, for example, if you can, uh, you know, fruit or vegetables or whatever? Why do you seal it? To preserve it. So we're sealed or preserved by the Holy Spirit all the way to the day of redemption. Can you say amen? But again, here it says that, you know, this is, uh, again, a thing about being, you know, that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Anytime we sin, we grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? And you say, well, you know, how do you grieve? I want to understand more how you grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, you have to look at the context as this is written in. Uh, the verse above it says, don't let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. How I many knows if you let corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, you grieve the Holy Spirit? The verse above it says, let him that stole steal no more. If you steal something that's someone else, you grieve the Holy Spirit. The verse above it says, uh, you know, be ye angry and sin not. Well, if you get angry and then sin, uh, then it grieves the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 25 says, wherefore putting away lying and speak every man truth with his neighbor. If you lie, then you grieve the Holy Spirit, right? So he's talking about putting off the behavior or the conduct associated with the old Adamic, the selfish, and the pride of the old nature and putting on the new. So if we walk in the flesh, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But when we walk in the Spirit and please God and have the fruit of the Spirit displayed in our attitude and character in life, then that does not grieve but pleases and, and blesses the Holy Spirit. Can you say amen? And so we can, if he said grieve not, then we can not grieve him. Right? Praise God. And so, again, this is characteristic associated with a, a person. Um, 
then uh, then we'll read one more along this line. First Thessalonians five nineteen. There's a lot about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. <laughs> First Thessalonians. And chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 says, Rejoice evermore. Verse 17, pray without ceasing. Verse 18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And in verse 19, he says what? Quench not. So we saw grieve not in Ephesians. And here we see quench not. And actually, most translations where it says quench not say extinguish not. Don't put out or don't hamper or dampen or diminish the Holy Spirit. Right? And so, uh, you know, if we considered a railroad track and one rail was grieved not and the other was quenched not if we can keep going down that track without grieving not and quenching not then we're going to make progress we're going to be able to work with him but again it's a person he is a person that we're working with so um then uh we've talked about three reasons that we know absolutely that he's a person Number one, he is, is categorized and placed within the personhood of the Trinity. Then secondly, the Holy Spirit is a person because of the attributes of personability are ascribed to him like will, emotions, right, mind. You know, he can be grieved, he can be vexed. And then uh, thirdly, we know he's a person because personal activities are ascribed to him. And we've looked at he strives with sinners, he teaches, he testifies, he reproves, he guides, he comforts, helps our infirmities, he searches the deep things of God. We missed that one. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 20. He sanctifies, he bears witness, he commands, he can be lied to, he can be resisted, he can be blasphemed, he can be grieved, he can be quenched. Can you say amen? Now, you know, a verse that has meant a lot to me over the last maybe five or six months is a James. Let's go to James chapter 4. Can I have a few more minutes? James chapter 4. In the King James, it says, uh, uh, James chapter 4 verse 5 says, Do you think that Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwells in us Lust to envy. And that's probably not the best translation. The spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. Other translation says he yearns jealously over us. So the spirit that dwells within us yearns jealously over you. You know, the Bible talks about God is a jealous God, right? That's not a perverted, perverted human jealousy, right? It's a protective, loving, you know, desire for, right? Did I get y'all at this right place? James chapter 4, verse 5. 
Miss Joy, how does Amplified read? He yearns for the spirit to be welcome with a jealous love. In other words, for us to yield or submit to or give place to the Holy Spirit and to welcome him in our lives. Amen. Now, again, if you look at the context, the whole context of this is, uh, if you look, uh, you know, like at the first part, James was, you know, correcting and reproving them. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Uh, he said, uh, do they not come hence even from your lust or desires that war in your members? You lust, you have not. He said, verse 3, you ask, you receive not because you ask amiss because you want to consume it on your own desires. And he said, adulteresses and adulterers, uh, how can you, the friendship of the world, you know, is enmity with God. Who is therefore that be a friend of the world is an enemy with God? Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us, yearns jealously over us or desires jealously that we make him welcome in our life to get rid of those other things. You know, that goes back to Ephesians about not grieving. If I'm fighting and quarreling and striving with self-ambition to promote myself in pride, then that grieves the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is actually yearning jealously within me to to make him welcome and allow him to work in my life. Look at the next verse. But he gives more grace. So how are you going to overcome those things? By the grace of God, right? And if you welcome him and yield to him, he'll give you more grace. God resists the proud but gives grace to the submissive or the humble, the one that humbles himself to the Holy Spirit. He gives more grace to overcome all that stuff. Can you say amen? And then that's the context. Sometimes we miss the context of things, but that's where the next verse starts. Submit yourselves or surrender or Put yourself, Peter said a different way, he said, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, which is basically saying defer to the Holy Spirit in his direction and his leadership and his teaching in your life so that you don't grieve him, but that he leads you into a path that pleases the master and conforms you to the image of Christ. But he's in us jealously yearning to bring us into, and he's desired for, so greatly for us to have these things removed and the, the things of Christ to be established. Isn't that neat? that you got somebody in you that loves you so much as jealously yearning over you to give you more grace and bring you into a place where your your attitudes and your your mind is renewed to think like Christ you have the same mind of Christ and that your attitudes are the same as Christ absence of pride a pro, you know a preeminence of humility an absence of selfishness and a preeminence of love 
aren't you, I don't know if y'all are excited about this as I am, that you got somebody in you that wants to help you to bring you into the best place that you've ever been and bring you out of all this stuff and give you grace and work in you like you've never dreamed. God is in you to help you. He's a person that's in you. And, you know, just invitation to say, I welcome your work in my life. I defer to you. I'm not trying to use you so that I've got more power. I'm giving myself and surrendering myself to you so that I don't have more of you. You have more of me. And this is understanding the communication of the fellowship of why the Holy Spirit is in us. Can you say amen? So I'm going to put you uh, one more reason why that we know that the Holy Spirit is a person. We said he was part of the persons of the Trinity and that the the, uh, attributes of personality are manifest like mind, will, uh, you know, being grieved, that type thing, and in personal activities. All of these are, are, are only what a person would, would do. And then lastly, uh, the usage of personal pronouns, and we've talked about this before, by the master himself of the Holy Spirit. He called him he and him, right? And, I mean, he would use he and him multiple times in the same verse, And it wouldn't be necessary to use he and him that many times if he wasn't a person. Just turn back to John 16. We'll look at one of those. So, I mean, we've got conclusive proof tonight that the Holy Spirit is indeed a person. Amen? And that we can be filled with him. We can be yielded to him. We can be led by him. We can have more grace from him. And we can welcome him. And he can uh, yearn jealously within us. John 16, verse 13. Jesus said, and when he, the Holy Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. It's not really not necessary to use he eight times in one verse. But it's in there for a reason. Because the Lord was definitely communicating to us that he is a person. And that he, uh, you know, shouldn't be called it. Can you say amen? Now, there's two times in the King James Bible where the Holy Spirit is referred to as it, and both of them are just bad translation. Uh, Let me read to you what one author wrote about that, and I believe it's right on. Uh, He says it's a mistake to use it with reference to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit must never be considered merely a blessing or a feeling or an influence. How far short of the full truth it is to refer to him as it. There are two verses in the King James Version of the Bible which say or use it in reference to the blessed Holy Spirit. And they're both in Romans chapter 8, verse 16 and verse 26. The Spirit himself, well, let's just turn and read them there. Romans chapter 8. 
and verse uh, 16. The Spirit, what? The King James reads itself, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And then in verse 26, uh, likewise the Spirit also helps our infirmity for we know not why no, not for what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit itself. So itself is used uh, twice there. This is doubtless a result of the use of the word wind, which is in the new, neutral, neuter or neutral gender. How many knows that the Holy Spirit, the word spirit in and of itself, uh, pneuma, where we get the word pneumatic, like pneumatic tools, Pneuma actually means air-driven, but it also means wind. And because that's one symbol or, you know, that helps us understand the Holy Spirit, he's like, in some sense, like a wind. Right? And uh, so that he's saying that because of the, you know, the use of the word pneuma in the Greek, which is neutral gender, uh, he said that that, is, uh, you know, would lend itself to why the translators translated it that way. Let me uh, see if I included this further. He said, uh, readers and translators had not become adjusted to the divine conception of the breath of God constituting a distinct person, but now there should be no excuse for referring to the Holy Spirit as it. Now, earlier I looked up where it says itself. Actually, in the Greek, that is the Greek word altos, where we get the word automatic from, of itself. And so what altos in the Greek means is his own self or his self and no other. So what it was saying, the spirit his own self. Now, you have to learn to where one thing is used, you need to look at other instances it's used. And one preeminent usage of the word altos came out really clear when I was looking at the Scripture. 1 Peter 2, 24. Who his own self is altos just like in Romans chapter 8. It didn't say who itself bear our sins in his own body. So what it's emphasizing is he and no other, he himself and no other are he himself. So that's just bad translation in Romans chapter 8. It should read, the spirit himself and no other bears witness with our spirit, right? And so I'm just saying that to clear up again why maybe some people would use it and take away from his personage, right? And stood of using him, it should read, he himself and no other, just like in First Peter, altos, who himself bore our own sins. Not somebody else, but he himself, himself and no other bore our sins. And it's the same way in use with the Holy Spirit. Um, I wanted to read just a few more comments here, if we can. It'll take about three or four minutes. I just wanted to glorify and magnify third person of the Godhead and, and get our mind more renewed because this year is, you know, we can be more spirit-led and we can be more spirit-filled and we can be more spirit-renewed 
And, you know, the Bible says that in Romans chapter 8 that the carnal mind is death, but the spiritual mind, if we're thinking on what he has given us, it's life and peace. So you can live more in life and peace than you've ever lived by hearing what the Holy Spirit is saying to you and thinking and following that this year. Does that sound good? 2019 being a year of life and peace. Amen. And if we're really in tune with him, if we start going down a trail that's not going to take us down, that's going to steal our peace or steal our harmony, or we're thinking about lack or thinking about something that's going to cause anxiety, if we're really in tune, he's going to speak them and say, no, 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 you're going to have plenty. Philippians 4.19 says he's going to supply all your need. He's the spirit of truth, and he leads us and brings to our remembrance truth. So it's possible this year to live saturated in constant awareness and the presence of the Holy Spirit and be thinking his thoughts after him and have more life and peace than we've ever had ever. Can you say amen? But part of it is becoming aware and constant of him as a person. Amen. Uh, This author, and I wanted to read this because I thought this was real good. He said, there are those who have difficulty in distinguishing, talking about the Holy Spirit being a person, between personality, being a person, and corporeity, or corporeity, corporeity, which means having a body. So we had some people have a difference between uh, distinguishing whether a person is a person, whether they have a body or not. They cannot understand or believe that anything which is invisible and intangible and does not have a body can be a person. Well, the more you get your mind renewed and the more you walk by faith, the more that, you know, it, it's not. Paul said, you know, I knew a man in Christ, whether in the body or out of the body, I can't tell. It, you know, he didn't say when I got out of my body, I ceased to exist. I mean, he couldn't tell the difference between being in his body and out of his body. So whether you have a body or don't have a body doesn't have anything to do with whether you're a person or not. Are you still here? Jesus said, a spirit hath not flesh and bones. You know, when he had taken a glorified body and came back and he ate food, he said, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. So a spirit doesn't necessarily, doesn't have a body. Could have a body, but doesn't have to have a body. Right? Um, And you know, we're made to function in both realms, both the natural world and the spirit realm. Amen. We have that capacity uh, because that which is born of flesh is flesh, but that which is born of spirit is spirit, and we're both born of flesh and spirit. So we have a dual, you know, we can be in this world, but we're not to allow what we see and feel or what comes through our senses determine the truth of God's word. We're allow the truth of God's word because his words are spirit. Right? A spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have, Luke 24, 39. He also said, God is a spirit, John 4, 24. It is recorded that no man has seen God at any time, talking about with physical eyes. Thus, God exists as an invisible spirit without flesh and bones. But the creator and ruler of a universe of persons must himself be a person. 
The Holy Spirit is a spirit like God the Father, and so the Holy Spirit is a person. His omnipresence is an impossible conception if we confine him to a body. He can't be everywhere present if he's confined to a body. That's one reason Jesus said it was advantageous. Having the faculties and attributes of a person constitutes a person, whether or not that person customarily resides in a body. If he can be grieved, that's the personality characteristics of a person, whether he's got a body or not, right? So this author went on to say, the need for genuine faith in his personality Although accepted prefunctorily by Orthodox Christians everywhere as theologically correct and true, that's talking about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, the fact of the personality of the Holy Spirit needs emphasis, which we've done tonight, and practical acceptance, which all of us are doing tonight, in the mind and hearts of believers. I believe in the Holy Ghost, or I believe in the Holy Spirit, is easily repeated in church ceremony as creedal faith. But the truth is not as easy to comprehend or practice in one's personal life. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is real. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. John fourteen sixteen. As Jesus had been real among them so that they heard him with their ears, saw him with their eyes, and handled him with their hands, so now the comforter was to take his place among them, and though invisible, he was to be just as real a personal companion, friend, teacher, and guide. Two more paragraphs. The Holy Spirit must, uh, we read that, must never be, that's talking about his individuality as, I mean, as his, uh, about him being called it. So, um, anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to get to. I'll read the last sentence there again. Uh, as Jesus had been real among them so that they heard him, with their ears and saw him with their eyes and handled him with their hands. So now the comforter was to take his place among them and though invisible to be just as real, a personal companion, friend, teacher, and God. Can you say amen? So, you know, we spent some time proving the personality, uh, you know, of the Holy Spirit. And, and I believe that again, uh, this is a year of, uh, of communion with and fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And if we can follow his leadership and surrender to him, uh, flow with him, then we're only going to head into the best things that we've ever been in. Can you say amen? <clears throat> well, are you thankful that you've got such a one? <laughs> you know, it would be a bad thing for us just to take the Holy Spirit for granted. Amen. I mean, the disciples, when Jesus left, uh, they were concerned that, uh, that, you know, that they were going to be without help. Well, thank God. I mean, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we'd be orphans and without help. But thank God we're not without him. 
and we can rejoice in the fact that he's with us. Can you say amen? Let's stand up and praise God for the Holy Spirit being in our life tonight. Thank you, Lord. We're thankful for the greater one. We're thankful for the ever-present helper, comforter, strengthener. Thank you, Lord, that uh, in this year that we're sensitive to and aware, conscious of him, and that uh, we're under uh, submission to him, and that he works in us uh, in a way that we've never experienced before. And we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know, Enoch, the Bible says that, you know, with his fellowship with the Lord, it says uh, that is actually the context of Hebrews eleven six, where it says, you know, without faith it's impossible to please him, for they that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently him. The verse above it said, and Enoch walked with God and was not because God took him because he had this witness before he was taken that he pleased God. Well, it'd be impossible to walk with the Holy Spirit and have that kind of communion with him without believing that he is and that he will do exactly what the Word of God said that he would do in our life. Can you say amen? And so you do believe. You've heard enough scripture on the Holy Spirit tonight to be tight <laughs> with him the rest of the year. Amen? So we're, you know, exhorting you to walk tight and everything will be all right uh, in this next year. God bless you. We're dismissed. <clears throat>